Amen. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Khalifa and Paul and choir. So good to see the choir up there. Good to see uh, a young guy in the back row. Not talking about Jack or Jim. They're they're young as well. They, there is only one. There is only one kid on the back row. That's for sure. Appreciate your leading us in song and worship this morning. It's cold morning. That is for sure. Sometimes it's hard to get out of bed on a cold morning like this morning, and we need motivation. And sometimes uh, one thing that uh, motivates me to get out of bed is uh, music. You know, I play the songs like, just kind of get me out of bed. And sometimes people have their uh, alarm clock set to music. Music motivates us. Music encourages us. Music reminds us of God. And music encourages us, causes us to endure. Studies have shown that music um, influences our bodies. Music can increase the efficiency of different parts of our brain. That's why it's been said sometimes it's good to uh, listen to classical music as you study. Music can help us describe certain events that have taken place in history. If I were to uh, play the song Candle in the Wind, I'm sure probably all of us would think of Princess Diana. So music can stir our minds and our hearts, make us think of history, But music is made for us to worship God. So we sing together as a congregation. So thankful for Paul and his leadership as he, as he leads us in music and worship. As we began our service, we sang the song, Come People of the Risen King. I love that song. It reminds us that we sing in the King, the King of all kings who we delight to praise in. We come to sing to the God of grace. The song says, From the shifting shadows of the earth, we lift our eyes to Him, where steady arms of mercy reach to gather children in. That song reminds me of Moses' song that we find this morning in Exodus chapter 15. Stand with me, if you will, as we read, as we honor the reading and preaching of God's holy word. Exodus chapter 15. Then... Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desires shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. 
Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your stead, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out with her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, or to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, because it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Gracious Father, I thank you and praise you for this time together. Lord, I pray that you'll remind us of your power and your strength, most importantly of your name. Your name, O Lord, is the only name that we want to worship this morning. So Father, fix our hearts and our minds upon you. Lord, there is no other God like you. There's only one God that is worthy of our worship, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Lord, teach us your name Teach us of your fame, Father, through history. Lord, as you are present even today, it is clear for us to see. Father, we know that you have purchased and redeemed a people, not just the people of Israel, but the people of all nations, of all tongues. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that Jew and Gentile can come to you and be saved by you through your Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, lead us by your Spirit now, even as we look at your Word Father, I pray that we will exalt your name and exalt you alone as the only God who reigns. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, over the last several weeks, we've looked at several songs 
In the month of December, we looked at the song of Zechariah. We looked at the song of Mary. We also looked at Simeon's song. Well, this morning, we look at the song of Moses. And as I've said, songs are important. Songs motivate us. They encourage us. They remind us of history. They remind us of God's faithfulness. So here in this song of Moses this morning, Israel rejoices in divine deliverance. They can't say this is something that we have done. They can't say that we parted the Red Sea. They can't take credit for any of this. So we see divine deliverance as they pass through the Red Sea unscathed as the Lord fought for them and won against Pharaoh and his army. Moses doesn't take credit. He doesn't say, okay, this is something I did. I am your leader. Bow down and worship me. No, that would be uh, blasphemy. But he does not do that. Moses sings to the Lord because the Lord God is the one who overthrew Pharaoh and his chariots into the sea. Pharaoh pridefully rebelled against God. So the second verse of this song should be the chorus in our hearts. It should be on repeat, you know, just continually singing over and over. It's going to be here on the slide. Let's let's say it together. This should be the chorus of our hearts. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. This is the song of our hearts. We rejoice in what God has done. We rejoice because God has kept His promises. He makes promises and He keeps promises because God is faithful. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 37 and 38. It says, Because He loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with His own presence by His great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. So we see here in Deuteronomy, God's promises are true. He keeps His word and He is faithful. So we have reason to praise God, especially as those who know Christ, especially as children of faith, those who know the story, know the promised one, Jesus Christ. He made us and redeemed us. So we all have reason to rejoice. We all have a story to tell. And all of our stories point to God's story. All of our stories point to His fame and to His name and His glory. One girl put it this way, You want to know my testimony? Read Ephesians 2. There it is, plain and simple. So if you've repented of your sins and if you're trusting in Jesus, you have reason to rejoice. You have reason to praise God because of what He has done. So here, the people of God, they praise God, they sing of the Lord's strength, they sing of His mercy and grace. Salvation has come because of God. God is the one who brings deliverance. Here in our song in chapter 15, Moses and company sing, proclaiming God's great name, His power and His presence. He is clearly there. He has clearly delivered the people of God And we see, as He rescued them, it's not because of their might. It's not because of their fame. It's not because of how great and mighty they are. It's because of God's grace to His children. God's grace is what transforms our hearts. God's grace should be the mark of a Christian. When we see grace, we should see the children of God. There are many ways to describe God's grace. 
It's clearly most specifically displayed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But sometimes it's hard to describe God's grace practically. This past week I was talking with Stephen Herschel about God's grace and mercy and sometimes it's hard to just tangibly talk about God's grace. Here's one object lesson that drives God's grace home. This comes from Timothy Paul Jones. He's a famous author and teacher. He tells the story of taking his adopted daughter to Disney World. Now, for years, this daughter, she was denied going to Disney World by her original parents. So when she finally got to go to Disney World, she was thrilled and excited. And when she saw the Magic Kingdom and and experienced all the greatness that day, this was her response. Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good, it's because I'm yours. What a wonderful response of God's grace. I see all the kids thinking in their minds now, I know what I'm going to say to my parents. (laughs) So are you aware of God's grace in your life? We must see God's grace in Scripture. We must see it specifically through Jesus Christ. When our sin is measured against the holy God, it's God's grace that surpasses our sin and our guilt. God's grace that covers our our stains our stains and our guilt, and we are called sons and daughters of God through Christ. Moses and the children of Israel Israel sing because of God's grace and mercy to them. The Lord had rescued them and He redeemed them, and this is what Moses is singing about in verses 1 and 2. He says, This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Then, in verse 3, again, this is, this is a continual of the praise. It may not sound like praise, but this is praise. It says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. In the first three verses, Moses and the children of Israel are describing the character of God. In verse 3, it says, the Lord is a man of war. That is, He's a ferocious warrior. This is who he is. Now, verses like verse 3 may not be politically correct in our culture, but we must not shy away of describing God in this manner. God is not weak. He is a warrior, and he will defend his name. He is able to contend and deal with those who seek to mock him, and those who seek to dethrone him. He will defend his name. So in verses 4 and 5, Moses describes for us how God is a man of war, how he is a ferocious warrior. It says the victory of God over Egypt is described here in verses 4 and 5 as what God does, he does to defend his name. The chariots, the officers, the others, they're drowned in the Red Sea. The imagery is dark as they go down deep into the sea like a stone. And then the next section of the song, verses 6 through 10, again we sing and proclaim that God is the Almighty God who is worthy of worship. Verses 6 and 7, it parallels verses 1 and 2. There's a lot of parallelism between verses 1 and 2, verses 6 and 7, and, and uh, throughout the song. Here in verses 6 and 7, you see again and again praising God because of what He has done. We praise God because of His majesty. We praise God of what He has done in defending His name. And we see this repeated phrase, Your right 
hand. This is what God has done. God's greatness is seen through all of His attributes. From His mercy to His fury, He he carries out His plans so that all might know that He is the Lord God. This is why He carries it out. And His songs can often be, they are poetic. And this this song is no exception. And so verses 8-10, through we see vivid imagery of God's righteous wrath. As he sends his wrath upon Pharaoh and his people, Pharaoh has plotted against the Lord God. He's pursued God's people with defiance in his heart. And we see throughout this in verses 8, 8, 9, and 10. Look at verse 9 with me. We see this defiance as they, as Pharaoh says, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. I will draw my sword. Again and again, this is defiance against the Lord God. This is not to be taken lightly. But in the end, God will not be mocked. And He knocks them off course when He sends His mighty waters to cover them completely. So here, again, God defends His name. Look with me at the next section of the song, verses 11-15. through 15. It begins with wonderful and beautiful description of our great God. In verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? This is not a rhetorical question. This is a question where we sing of God's praise. There is no one like God. No one like the God of Scripture. Moses is singing this in contrast to the Egyptian gods. All of these false gods, all of these false gods they worshipped, he's saying they do not compare to the God of Scripture. The Egyptian gods do not compare, no matter how many there were, no matter what their claims may be, they do not compare to the God of Scripture. The God of Islam does not compare to the God of Scripture. The millions of gods in Hinduism do not compare to the God of Scripture. The God of secular humanism does not compare to the triune God of Scripture. Look at what Tim Keller says. This is so good. The declaration that science is the only arbiter of truth is not itself a scientific finding. It is a belief. Then Keller goes on to say, to move from religion to secularism is not so much a loss of faith as a shift into a new set of beliefs and into a new community of faith, one that draws the lines between orthodoxy and heresy in different places. In other words, these other religions are religions in and of themselves. They have faith, but they have faith in the wrong gods. There is only one God, and it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what Moses declares. This is why he sings, there's no one like our God. This is what we read in Psalm 89. Look with me there in Psalm 89. We read this, For who in the skies can compare to the Lord God? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. Jeremiah says the same thing in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 6, verse 6. It says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. There is no one like the Lord our God. This is why Moses sings. This is why the children of Israel sing because they have seen firsthand. We saw what the Lord did. 
we saw that we were up against water, the great sea, and enemies pursuing us here. We are caught in between a rock and a hard place, literally. But it's the Lord God who separates the sea. And so they say and they sing, we saw what the Lord did. We see salvation, that He has delivered us, His people. So they are rejoicing in God's divine justice against His enemies, but also God's divine mercy to them. We didn't deserve this. We deserve wrath. But God has rescued us. So God stretches out His hand to show love and justice simultaneously. Look with me at verse 13. Verse 13 kind of describes the whole chapter, the whole song as a whole. Right in the middle of the song, we see the theme here. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. God has shown steadfast love and mercy whom He has redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. All according to God's perfect plan and all so that we might glorify Him. So this is what God has described for us and this is why Moses and the people sing because they are not falling under the judgment of God. They are falling under and see the mercy and grace of God. The enemies of God face terror while the children of God receive favor. We receive grace and favor. This is clear in verses 16 and 17 as the, as, um, as the enemies fear, the Canaanites fear, and they are seized with terror. But yet the people of God receive grace and mercy. The Lord plants His people in a new place and they sing triumphantly with those who have gone before, in verse 18, it says, The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is what Revelation 15 says. This is the song that we will sing one day. They sing the song of Moses. I love the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. This is the song we will sing. This is what we will praise God for. And the people of God see this. Verse 19, God's mercy is on display again as the people of Israel walk on dry ground where the sea was. And because of this miracle, Miriam, we, we, we read this here in verse 20, Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, she leads the women to worship before the Lord. How do they worship? This is, this is right here. This is even for Baptists. It says it right here. They worship the Lord with dancing, dancing and tambourines. I told uh, here, the people that were gathered here on Wednesday night, I said, I might need to look over the church constitution again because uh, my middle daughter Shelby is taking Irish step dancing lessons. I want to make sure I'm in good grounds. I think I am. But they are dancing. They are dancing and rejoicing before the Lord. They dance as they declare, this is what our God has done. This is who He is. He has triumphed gloriously over Pharaoh. This is not, it was a close battle. They had to go into overtime and they barely won. No, this is that they have triumphed gloriously over Pharaoh. So Miriam wanted everyone to know what the Lord had done for them. 
She leads the women to dance and to sing and to play tambourines. Paul, there you go, add some tambourines up here. They're rejoicing in what God has done. So do you rejoice in the works of God? Jehovah Jireh, that He provides? Amen. The One who has provided for you, who has redeemed you, this is what we are to do. We are to sing to the Lord. Dancing to the Lord. Triumphing, uh, rejoicing in His triumphant victory. Look with me at now the last section of chapter 15. Israel, Israel, the children of Israel were not to sit and celebrate forever. They were on a mission. They were on the move. The people of Israel begin their journey into the wilderness of Shur. This is kind of a, a transition chapter, if you will, in the book of Exodus. And so they've seen the great deliverance of God over Pharaoh and over his, over his army. Now they're transitioning into the wilderness of Shur. As you might imagine, the wilderness is what it sounds like. It was wild and it was uncomfortable. They didn't want to be there. And the people of Israel found no water. In verse 23, the people come to Marah, Mara, which means bitterness. So when you come to a place that means bitterness, it's probably not a place you want to live in or reside in. No one likes to consume something that is bitter. So the people, this is amazing, right after they're delivered, right after they're singing, right after they're dancing, right after there's tambourines and rejoicing, now, whining and complaining, they come to Moses, what, what are we going to drink? What, what are we going to do? It's not like the Lord has delivered us before. I mean, whining, complaining. I love this quote by Matthew Henry. This is so true. The greatest joys and hopes are soon turned into the greatest griefs and fears with those that live by sense only and not by faith. If we're not living by faith, all we're going to focus on is the here and now. What do I see? What do I have? What do I don't have? What's set before me? What, what do I need? Well, God has given us all we need. He's given us everything we need if we are living by faith. Well, Moses, the man of faith, calls out to the Lord. He doesn't say, your people, the whiners, are, are whining again. No, he calls out to the Lord, and the Lord is so patient, is so merciful to us. His mercies are new every morning. The Lord shows the people mercy. The Lord shows Moses a log. He throws it into the water. This is one of those scenes where just... Love to be able to see what happens here. Throws the log into the water, and the water becomes sweet. God's mercy. This miraculous mystery reveals God's presence once again. He's not leaving His people. He is right there, and He is providing for His people. So it says that there at Ma, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. That is, the matter was settled. And He tells His people, that He is with them. We also read here at the end of the chapter that God tested them as they went through this trial. He tests them so that they might worship Him. This is instructive for us. And in verse 26, He tells them what to expect. In one word, it is obedience. This is the God who has provided for them. 
This is the God who has made them. This is the God who has rescued them. He's the God who has rescued us and redeemed us. So why should he not expect obedience from his people? So they must diligently listen to the voice of God and obey it. This is not just they, them, back then. This is us now, today. We must follow God and obey His voice. Ignorance is not an option. None of us can say, I don't know what God expects of me. We do know what God expects of us. So we must obey His voice. God has given us clear commands. So as a result, we must do what is right and obey all that God has commanded. And God promises us, He promises the children of Israel, in verse 26, He says, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. So He shows them, I am a merciful God, I'm a compassionate God, I'm going to watch over you because you're my children. And then at the end of verse 26, don't look past this, He says, I am the Lord, your healer. Your healer, your provider, your redeemer, and your healer. God shows them that He will watch over them. What a promise. What a God we serve. This is the message of Exodus. The Lord, Yahweh, is greater than all gods. That's the message. God works in a special way to save a special group of people so that they would behold His greatness. So this is what I want us to see God's greatness, God's glory, to rejoice in His name, to proclaim that He is good, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because He has delivered us and rescued us. Then we come to the last verse, verse 27. I almost skipped over it. I almost stopped at verse 26 because it ends in such a great way. I am the Lord your healer. I thought, well, maybe I'll just pick up verse 27 next week. But verse 27 is almost comical. I don't know if you kind of smile when you read verse 27, but it's almost comical. It's definitely providential. It says, the Lord, or I'm sorry, it says, then they came to Elam, here's this new place, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. This is not a mirage. It's not like, wait, wait, there's water, and then run to it and it's not there. God provides for the complainers. The whiners that say, where's the water? It's bitter. We don't have anything. And then God provides for His people. Twelve springs of water. One for every tribe. Seventy palm trees. Again, showing perfection and completion. God provides for His people. As we go through this chapter, we should be reminded of a couple of things. For the enemies of God... There is dread, there is terror, there is fear, and there is death. But, here's the good news. For the people of God, there's mercy, there's grace, and there is celebration. That we are to rejoice as the kingdom of God is here and is coming. We look forward to Christ's return. We rejoice in what God has done, and we will celebrate through song. As I've told Paul before, as I've told you before, I don't have a great singing voice. I feel bad for my kids who sit next to me. But I love to sing. But I look forward to the day when I will sing, when you will sing, when we all will sing, Hallelujah, 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are. Lord, we sing of your greatness. We sing because even though we are sinners, we recognize that your mercy is more. Lord, we recognize that you do not look upon our sin, but you look upon us as sons and daughters of God. So Lord, we rejoice in the fact that we have been saved. We've been delivered by your grace and your mercy. So Lord, I pray, Father, that we as a people can rejoice. Father, that we can sing. We can celebrate even as we live in a fallen world. Even as we face sickness and sorrow and trials and tribulation and difficulties and uncertainties. Even as we face all these things, Lord, we know that your plans are good. And Lord, we know that you deliver your people and you provide for your people. And so, Lord, we are your people. We are the children of God. So we rejoice in who you are. So even now, as we stand and we sing, Lord, let us sing as people who have been rescued. Lord, let us proclaim the greatness of our God to one another here this morning, to those that we will meet today, family and friends. Those that we'll meet throughout the week, let us proclaim that our God reigns. Lord, we rejoice in who you are and what you have done. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.